Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of, Beyond the Rut. I'm one of your hosts, Jerry Dugan, and in just a moment, Brandon Cunningham is going to be here with us as we have a conversation with Susie Rosenstein. Susie Rosenstein is the host of Women in the Middle podcast, where she is coaching middle-aged working women to get the most out of life now so that they can live a life that has no regrets. In this episode, we're going to talk about Susie's personal story, how she had a career in public health for over 25 years and then just hit this point where she was stuck. And what did she do to get out of that moment of feeling stuck in her career? And it's just a great story. So, Sit back and relax unless you're driving, then keep your head on a swivel and drive safely and check out this episode where we hear from Susie as she launched bravely into her coaching business. Here we go. All right, Brandon, welcome back to your own show. I, you know, we kind of need you at the microphone to do this. Walking in slowly. There we go. People can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's not as cool as it looked. Huh? It, yeah, it was kind of awkward, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fortunately, Susie hasn't hung up on us, and she's on the line calling us from, uh, if I remember correctly, you said Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Ontario, that is, Canada. That's correct. Awesome. Woo. We win. Good job. All right. And I just won myself a new car. And that is north of Corpus Christi. You're right. Yeah, we did our homework. <laughs> Way north. <laughs> so uh, we, we didn't bring Susie on to impress her that we know geography enough to know that Canada is north of Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, That's about the extent of our geography knowledge. So, pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's sad. We we gotta open up some more books. Uh, we read them. We just, you know, they have lots of pictures. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> pop up. It's not true, man. Uh, all right. So, gosh, I am full of squirrels today. You're gonna have to keep me on track, which is scary. Um, so, Susie, there we go. Hey, <laughs> uh, I love to open up all of our episodes with a an icebreaker. And, uh, since we met on the Facebook page for podcast movement, which is founded by one of our friends, Jared Easley, uh, who's host of starve the doubts podcast. Uh, this is a little homage to him. One of the questions he loves to ask his guests is what is your favorite concert? So that's my question to you. What is your favorite concert? Oh, wow. I'm having a flashback. <laughs> the early eighties, oh, early eighties in Philadelphia, which is where I'm originally from. And Chuck Mangione was my favorite musician. Wow. And he used to do concerts in a smaller venue. Now, I can't remember exactly what it was called. It may have been the Valley Forge Music Festival or Music Fair. I can't remember. But oh, it cool. had, there was this stage that was round that turned. Oh, and maybe wow. there were two or three thousand people there. I don't remember. But wow, I was, I think I was just at the end of high school or just graduated high school and, you know, it's just it's just amazing to have jazz, have your favorite music. Feel so good was so popular then, and Chuck Mangione mm -hmm. had uh, the song that was in the Olympics around that time. So uh, it was really cool. I really have a good memory about that, and that's the musician I've seen in the most number of concerts. Oh man, awesome! And that's way before they started using auto tune, and oh yeah, so those are guys can really sing and perform. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, Brandon, what's your favorite concert? My favorite concert, and I'm not a big concert guy, but I think my favorite concert was probably Brian Adams in Dallas about, 
I think it was 1988 or 89, and he did, uh, I think it was a Reckless Tour or something like that. Hmm. And that was really my first concert, but it was by far my favorite because it was just so big and so huge. I'd, and I prefer the smaller setting where you get the big star, but you're, you're in a small setting where you can kind of hear and talk and stuff. And so that's always a lot of fun. So I, I saw a couple of people in that setting that I thought were really cool, but probably Brian Adams. Nice. Cool. How about you? It was, it was oh, man, Miley I was hoping Cyrus. To Come on, you know. <laughs> no, actually, um, it's nerdier than that. <laughs> I was in band in high school. Oh, yes. Yeah. Me too. Really? Oh, yeah. man. I was really into heavy metal. I played tuba. So. <laughs> heavy metal. Oh, man. Uh, and so there was an honor band concert. I was performing in Santa Cruz, California. It was a stormy night. So. I'm not just saying that to add drama. It really was a storm that night and we're performing. And in the middle of the concert, it's coming up on the, the tuba section solo. And I mean, we've been waiting for this part because we, when do you give tubas solos? Never. So this was our chance. <laughs> Intentionally. And, and it, we're like one bar away and then power goes out. Boom. There's a loud, loud thunder crack outside. Power is out. Lights go out. The crowd screams. And I'm like, to heck with it. Who's going to see me do this anyway? And I had the part memorized. And so I'm like, boom, 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 boom. I'm just going away. I'm like, and, and I, I'm listening and all the other tubers are like, screw it. Let's do this. And we just rebel. It's like, were they going to kick us out? I mean, the, the lights went out. They can't even find us. And we're just playing. And then the floodlights start, the emergency lights start coming back on. And then, um, I look out of the corner of my eye and all eight of us lean forward in unison. And then the crowd just goes wild because they, you think this is all planned and we're just like wailing away. And then even though our solo is done, we're still wailing away like this, like the rest of the song is ours. <laughs> and so um, your favorite concert is yours. It's, it's a band concert that I was in. Yeah. I, was, uh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I, I didn't think I was going to share that story, but uh, that I tell my kids that like it was a war, like a football story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean I played football too, but I tell them band stories more than anything. Oh, <laughs> I know my kids also have to hear their share of uh, band stories. I love oh, it. Oh man, so your kids know how my kids feel. <laughs> 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 oh man, now for for um, our guests, because chances are they probably skipped our intro where I just bragged about you. Um, um. For the record, she's our guest. They're our listeners. What did I say? I learned. Okay. <laughs> Man. But, you know, I am so jet-lagged right now. For all of our <laughs> guests out there that don't have a mic. <laughs> You're all guests, too. <laughs> Welcome to Jerry's house. Let me give out that address. Grab, uh, grab a pen and pencil. So if you skipped the intro, uh, Susie actually has a master's degree in applied social psychology. Uh, and then from there, you had this 25-year career in public health. Uh, and I'm thinking, like, all the counseling I ever received about career advice. And I never once heard somebody say, Hey, how about a degree in applied social psychology? So how did you wind up getting that degree and then winding up in public health for 25 years? Oh, wow. Thanks for asking that. Those old stories are the best. Yeah. I was always attracted to psychology. So back in the day, even in my high school yearbook, I said in there that I'm interested in psychology. I really wanted to know more about human behavior. So when I went to university, I made my decision because of the band. <laughs> <laughs> I just did a fist pump, everybody. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up transferring to um, the University of Guelph in Guelph, Ontario, because of a boyfriend a million of years ago. <laughs> and they didn't have a band. 
They had a jazz band, and I did get involved in jazz band later on. But back to psychology, I did end up in psychology, and I was really into um, kind of like witness identification types of research. Oh, wow. Classic classic social psychology. And I was uh, I did some street-proofing research um, and like to, to really see if people saw something happen on the street with children if they were able to, you know, how credible their memory was for some details. I was with a professor who was doing that sort of work. And and then I uh, did some research with kids in schools, asking okay. them what they knew about street proofing and safety and compared it to what their parents thought that they knew. Mm-hmm. So typically what happens is parents overestimate what <laughs> Their kids know about very simple things like, do you live in Canada or the United States? Do you know what to do if you get lost? Do you know how to use a phone? So back then, when I did the research in the 80s, you know, there were pay phones. So now <laughs> everybody has a phone. Things have changed a little bit. And then I thought I was going to pursue that sort of stuff in grad school. But I ended up being really into really applied social psychology. So not just understanding uh, groups, but but really applied work. And I started to do um, ethnographic research. I, I liked the long interview. And I was interviewing children about their relationship with their pet dogs for my master's thesis. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And I, I've always had dogs. Dogs have been in, very important in my life. And and I loved it. And uh, And it turns out that eventually when I found coaching, it does involve talking to people um, asking a lot of questions, paying careful attention to the actual language that they use to describe their thoughts and feelings. So I kind of think it came full circle. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Somebody handed me – so part of the reason why I'm jet-lagged is I just came back from uh, the ATD conference, and that's Association for Talent Development. I don't even know who, but somebody handed me a book on mindset <laughs> and that you know we, we mm-hmm. do all these programs and training that focus on behavior, but – Really, behavior is driven by mindset, and and hearing you talk about you know the way people are talking about themselves, the way people are talking about their relationships that that is coming from mindset. And so I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. I think I think I'm finally reading a, the right book. There you go. <laughs> well, it's perfect timing because that that definitely is the framework that I use in coaching. I was trained at the Life Coach School, and at the Life Coach School, uh, we use a thought model, mm-hmm. um, Brooke Castillo is the head of the life coach school. And this is the way that she um, teaches us to help people understand their thoughts and how their thoughts create the feeling and feelings drive all behavior, all behavior, which create your personal results, which always provide evidence for your thoughts. So you prove your thoughts. That's so true. We we've said this on the podcast before and I say it all the time. You know, you, you would never allow somebody else to speak to you the way you speak to yourself. Cause if somebody called you the names that you call yourself, you would leave or punch them or something, but you wouldn't just be like, okay, you know, that's okay. But we stand in front of a mirror and say just terrible things to ourselves or just sit there and say bad things to ourselves. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. 
It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Yeah, and the thing about thoughts is we think so many thoughts that we're not even aware of. Right. Thousands and thousands of thoughts. I've seen estimates, 40,000, 50,000, 70,000 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. And of course, you don't know half of what's going on in your brain. (laughs) But when you're thinking these thoughts, they're creating your feelings and driving behavior. So a lot of times you have results in your life. You look around in in your world, in your life. If you don't like what you see, you really have to check your mindset and what's going on in your brain because those thoughts are creating those results. That's true. That is a really good perspective. Yeah. I happen to know from looking at your your website, looking at your work, that, I mean, you had 25 years working in this field of public health, applying this uh, knowledge around applied social psychology, yet you even say it like in a paragraph on your about page that at the age, like you hit the, uh, am I allowed to say your age on on the show? Yeah. Okay, because okay. that's part of your brand. Okay. <laughs> Good. I was say, she couldn't okay be 25 and have this blog. I, I got really in trouble okay during the conference for saying a, a woman's age, and she was like, dude, get out of here. I was like, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so yeah, you, you say in your, your about page that you hit 50 and you felt stuck in your career. And then from there, you, you launch your, your business, your coaching business, uh, specifically for uh, working women in their midlife, which is really great. And you started your podcast, Women in the Middle, which is also really great. Mm-hmm. And not just for, I mean, yeah, you, your audience is women, but you at least got one male subscriber this morning. So, oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, like, what was it that, you were going through at that moment, like what were you feeling? And then how did you go from that feeling saying, you know what, this is where I'm going? Yeah, that was, uh, for me, that was five years. So I, um, I really enjoyed my work. And I worked in a lot of different aspects of public health. I worked in, um, I worked in tobacco use prevention at the, mm. in the early days. And I did heart health promotion, addiction, mental health, I did children's books, um, helped produce children's books for kids who had parents who drank too much or who um, were depressed. And so I was, it was very meaningful work. And there was nothing wrong with my job on paper, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with my job. But the problem was I was there too long. Now, I didn't realize what was going on with my, what I like to call midlife funk at the time. I just knew that I, I was starting to feel pretty regularly that something was off. I felt like life was passing me by. I thought, oh, there, is this all there is? There must be more out there. Uh, I just really felt stuck. And I guess another word that could be used to describe it was stagnant. But, you know, I had a oh, good yeah. job. Maybe Everyone you were in a great. rut. Sorry? You were in a rut. I was totally in a rut. <laughs> what is with the brand in there, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the name of your podcast. Yeah, I was totally in a rut, but I, I didn't know what to do about it. So what typically had happened with me over the years is if I had a problem, I would know how to solve it. I was very solution focused, generally speaking, but I couldn't figure it out. It's like, what is the roadmap? I have no clue. I started to investigate other careers. I, 
I started to look at going back to school. I did some brainstorming and I whined to my friends quite a bit about how miserable I was. And I was looking for like a lightning bolt to hit me with inspiration and clarity about what I wanted and nothing happened. And then um, the year I turned 50, a lot started to happen. And one thing was I got that fateful knock at the door and I got laid off. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's funny, you know, you fantasize about that for a long time. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> One day I'll go to... And then, then when it happens to you, oh my God, it is so stressful and so harsh, and I could barely hear what they were telling me because my heart was pounding, mm -hmm. like, so loud. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I think this is good, but it doesn't feel good. Like I was trying to focus on the package they were offering me. And I was like, I think this might be good. <laughs> it didn't feel good at all. So on the drive home, I remember uh, that day, I remember calling a girlfriend who I talked about this stuff to a lot. And she's like, this is good. This is really good. And I said, yeah, I think it is. But it really took me about six months to work out all of my thoughts and feelings about betrayal. Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of anger, even though I knew it was good. It just <laughs> took time to figure it all out. And at that time, I also uh, started to explore a little bit more. I went to, I did a, like a career type of course to sort out careers. I hired a life coach <laughs> during that six month period. And that was amazing because I was like, wow, these are amazing questions. I'm having amazing insights. I had no, I really didn't even understand what life coaching was. And then when it took a, a few months to sort out my severance package and I got an education severance as part of my package, I'd been there for a long oh, nice. time. And it was the same exact price as the tuition for life school life coach training at that point. Wow. That is cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I looked, I mean, it was a long time ago, but I was like, oh, that is the same amount. That really helped me make the decision because I was looking at several different options for where to train. And I was very attracted to, to the life coach school where I ended up going. Um, but it was an amazing time. But it, it, uh, a lot happened that year. I didn't expect to be laid off. And so you asked me what what was it that helped me make that decision? And I I didn't make that decision. <laughs> I clarified what I wanted to do after I was out, but I was very fearful. Mm -hmm. And again, in hindsight, I can understand it more than I could while I was there, but I kept thinking I was afraid of change. But really, now that I look at it, I was pretty concerned about my age. And I right. wondered if I had, um, you know, like it's one thing to be at an organization for a long time. You feel kind of, um, well, you have a lot of seniority. Yeah. But, and I wondered, though, with all that seniority, had I not kept up with training or had I, uh, did the field look completely different now? I hadn't looked for a job in almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't even know what the market was like anymore. So it's the age and how it related to my higher ability that I think was at the core of my fear at that time. So one question I have been asked is how long do I think it would have taken me to, to make the decision myself? Because I wasn't making it. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I really wasn't making it. Sometimes and we I need somebody want, else to make it for us. You know? <laughs> I kept wanting that. But isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like you want control over your life. And I was hoping for lack of control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. I think I was definitely getting a lot closer to making the decision because I had discovered life coaching. So I was now being exposed to this framework of trying to really understand your thoughts. And I think I would have figured out the whole fear thing eventually. But um, yeah, I think uh, one of those lessons about life is it really happened for me. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like it at the time, even though I had a sense it probably did, but it didn't feel like it. But now I can really see that it happened for me. And my clients too, when I have a client who has had something big happen like that, it usually opens other doors that they weren't able to open on their own. It's very hard to think things through when you just don't have that exposure or experience. Right. We found too with, with our audience, we always talk about it's not necessarily the, the person that's just been devastated by something. It's the person who's got a good job making good money. They've got benefits all the security in the world. They don't, they don't worry about anything. They don't, you know, they're not ultra rich, but they're not really struggling. They're just comfortable. And that comfort sometimes can be more of a hindrance than anything else. Because if you hate your job, you hate your environment, you're going to change it by force. But sometimes we're just so comfortable. We need somebody to come along and just smack us out of that and go, wait a minute, you're, you think your life's great. But really, you're miserable because you're not doing what you were really always destined to do. You totally just made me think of a trend that we've seen. Uh, everybody we've had on our show seems to have that same thing where there there was something going on at the heart level that right. you felt that rut. You felt stuck. And then something drastic happens. A layoff. Um, uh, what was it? Tim Lewis, his wife passed yep, away. His wife passed away. And, um, and it could be divorce. A yeah. child does. You know, we've it's seen where a child just moves away. It has happened. Whatever. So you've, you just kind of give me an epiphany here. We need to start a business where if you are stuck in a rut and you want to make a change, you contact us. We get some information from you. We go to your boss. We get you fired. And we get you fired. <laughs> and when you get fired, good luck. You, You're you got, ready to you go. Gotta pay us money. Wait, <laughs> all of our clients will have been recently fired. How are we going to make any money off of well, that? Well, they'll eventually oh become successful God, and then they'll oh, send okay. it, they'll shower us with gifts and love and, and, uh, whatever else comes after that. I don't know, but, um, we might, we might be onto something here. I go. think you're onto something. Yeah. But what you bring up is a wake up call mm -hmm. and, a wake-up call, they don't all look the same. And sometimes no. a wake-up call is exactly what you're talking about, something jarring that's really big. But sometimes it's something small, but it wakes up your thinking. And one story that I can share that happened to me seems really small. Like, I can't believe I actually noticed something big from it, but it had to do with needlepoint. Oh, Now, do you guys know what needlepoint is? Yes. Jinx. You do? <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> well, my wife does cross-stitching, or she did, and then from that, that came up. I Yeah, so I know what that is. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. And maybe your grandmas did it. I was going to say, my grandmother did it a lot. Yeah, both of my grandmothers were involved in that sort of thing, too, especially the one grandmother. But uh, yeah, so I was doing this needlepoint project, and I didn't grow up doing needlepoint, so it was new to me. Um, and I it got to a point where I needed some guidance. And I knew that at this needlepoint, the specialty needlepoint store, I could go in and I could get help with um, some the next stitch or something else that was coming up. But I had never been there before. So I walk in. I was completely blown away. It was so colorful and so beautiful. There were all these canvases on one wall and then on another wall, all these threads, all these different colors of threads. 
And I know your male listeners are rolling their eyes, but <laughs> it was <laughs> just keep listening, was, guys. This is good. <laughs> it was crazy uh, vibrant. But the thing that really blew me away was what caught my eye across the room. There was one of these higher tables with a bunch of women leaning over, focused on something. So like six women and the owner of the store. And she was teaching them. It was a class. And they were like really learning something specific about needlepoint. And my first thought was, how the heck did that woman figure out how to make money from her passion? I was, you know, coming from my public sector union job (laughs) for a decade. And I was just walking into this space going, wow, this woman figured out how to do what she loved. Now, it's not that I wanted to, um, you know, make money off of Needlepoint. It's just that I realized something I never thought anybody could make any money from, make a business, (laughs) make a living from Needlepoint. And that's what she was doing. Wow. So when I went back to work that day, I couldn't stop thinking about how envious I was. And that envy, you know, nobody really talks about envy. And I think envy is one of the greatest ways to get a clue about what you really want. Mm-hmm. And I I encourage my clients to embrace envy. So you don't need to talk to people about it, but you need to notice what it was and notice why you felt that way. So it's not that I wanted to start a needlepoint business, but I did notice that something that she loved, she was now sharing with other people. She found her people, even though it was a tiny little craft. Um, the whole art Uh, art making endeavor around needlepoint was all part of her business. And it just got me thinking. And it reminded me that I never thought that I would be in the public sector or in a union job or working for somebody else my whole life. And here I was pushing 50. And I was still in that (laughs) kind of sphere. So I'm like, what is going on? I don't even have being an entrepreneur on my agenda. Right. And and wow, that woman is teaching and doing and creating. And it just really shook up my thinking. So I really can't say enough good things about envy. <laughs> <laughs> That's It's kind of like being selfish. You know, when you say you're selfish, it has a negative connotation to it. But there is a certain amount of selfishness you should have. You should be selfish enough to make sure you eat and take care of yourself. You you don't give all your time and money and energy away. You've got to be selfish about some of it. Envy can be good if it's in the right perspective and, you, and you're aware of that. Because on paper, I'm sure at the time, you were probably more successful than she was if you just look black and white on paper. But I have she, no idea. Right. I don't know. And who knows? But my guess probably is. But from your perspective, the more successful person was her because you're like, you're doing what you want to do. I'm going to a job that I kind of have to because I've never done anything else. So you put that in perspective and say, what should I do other than just what may be expected of me? Well, for sure. What else is possible for me to do? Right. Because I was craving stability. There is a phase of your life where stability is amazing, yeah, exactly. right? And I was really craving stability. But but then as I aged and as I'd been there a long time doing a very similar job, uh, I started to realize that I felt stagnant. And again, I didn't understand this with the clarity I have now, but I was craving growth. Hmm. I really was craving um 
just moving forward in a very creative, different way, being more challenged Mm -hmm. and being more responsible for my own outcomes. And I didn't understand that then. Uh, But this, a lot of people that come to me are feeling stuck and stagnant, and it is that growth that they are looking for. When they think, well, is there something, uh, there's got to be more out there for me. I feel like my life is passing them by, and it definitely factors into that. That's a great perspective. You want stability at that middle part of your life or whatever. You know, you you get tired of eating ramen noodles and starving to death and living in a bad apartment in college. You're like, I want a little bit of stability in my life. But I think most people want a challenge. They want a problem to solve. They want something that kind of forces them into that. We're not uh, a, a human race is not really designed to just exist. It's designed to accomplish something and, and be challenged. And most really good companies, uh, Netflix is one of those that's just really been a pioneer in things. And, and they try to hire people that want that problem to solve. It's not the money. It's not the location. It's not even really the, the work itself. It's the fact that there's a problem maybe only you can solve or maybe you and a team can solve. And I think that's what people want. I want to go to work and do something with my life. The other thing is, you know, when we were going through school, it was amazing to get a full-time permanent job. Oh, yeah. Right? And <laughs> now, I don't know that, that people think the same way about mm-hmm. employment. And, uh, you know, I had lots of friends who'd been in a long-term job 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. Yep. And it was, uh, I felt very proud of that, that I'd been able to make a contribution <laughs> for a long time. And like I said, my, my job was great. Right. I just been there too long and I really can see how you grow more when you try new things. It's so obvious. Right. But wow, there's so much more growth. But that's what, like you said, that's what we were taught. If you can stay at your job 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, that's the goal. And then you retire and do whatever. It's like, and your life's almost over. And I think part of our generation and obviously more now in this generation, we just wanted something else. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why is that the plan? Just because you said it was the plan doesn't make it a good plan. Let's do something different from that. And and it's a lot of fun. I I left my job in corporate job a few years back and started with this software company. It's a, a growing software company with just 34 employees. And it's been a blast. It's all new stuff, all new challenges and everything else. But it's been a blast to try to figure this out together and grow it. And I think that's what most people crave. Tell us a little bit about how people could get a hold of you and get to your podcast and uh, just anything about you that you really want people to know. So I've got some really cool free stuff on my website that I'd love to share. I have a really cool freebie called 10 Surprisingly Simple Things You Can Do to Bust Out of Your Midlife Funk. Cool. And midlife funk uh, doesn't just have to be age. For many people, it's stage. So if you've been doing something for a long time, you could feel funky in your 30s, right? It doesn't have to, you don't have to be 50, 55 to to be in a funk. So that's a freebie. You can head over to my website at www.suzyrosenstein.com. You can get it there. And then also I've got this podcast called Women in the Middle, Loving Life After 50 that you can get on my website or on iTunes. And like, that's a scary thing. I never thought I'd be doing, doing a podcast. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And again, you don't need to be in your fifties to appreciate it. I've heard from all uh, listeners of all ages and, um, I don't know. It's a lot of fun and it's just such an amazing way to, to reach out and to help people. 
Right. And you don't have to be a woman to, to listen at all. This applies to everybody's life. You can all learn different aspects of your life, things you can change and things that are going to be a huge value to you. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. So you can go to the webpage and, and see all of that. And we'll have links to all of that. That's so true. In fact, I had a, a male guest a couple of weeks ago. I interviewed one of my sons who was 21 because a lot of the uh, topics that I talk about are empty nest mm-hmm. and transitioning to that whole empty nest <laughs> phase. And there's so many parts of that transition. And I thought, you know what, let's bring a real live kid who left the <laughs> nest on the podcast. And he's 21. And he talked about independence and leaving the nest from his perspective. And it wow. was fascinating. And I've gotten amazing feedback on it. And I do have some male listeners. And it's always great to hear from them. Listen, we're all in this together. <laughs> Life is short for all of us. And we really have to be more intentional about our lives. That's the bottom line. We're in this together. If you like everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 131. There you'll find the link to susierosenstein.com as well as the link to Women in the Middle podcast and the freebies that Susie talked about. You know what? We want to hear from you because, you know, we just, we need to feel the love. Are you listening? If so, shoot us an email, info at beyondtherut.com, or shoot us a tweet at beyondtherut. Or if you're one of our followers on Facebook, go to facebook.com and search us, Beyond the Rut. We're the two handsome dudes on the internet. Okay, maybe not, but we got a really cool logo. So look for that, follow us, and just tell us how we're doing. Shoot us a question that you want us to talk about. Drop a name of somebody you'd like us to reach out and interview. And that's the best way you can support our show. Well, that and sharing us with a friend, a family member, a coworker, or even that neighbor across the street. We enjoy sharing our show with you every week, and we look forward to touching base with you as we continue our conversation with Susie Rosenstein next week. And we talk about living a life without regret and what to do when you're too busy. In the meantime, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. That's true. That is a really good perspective. Yeah. I've got a question. I know it. Hold on. It's a good thing I can edit this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, am I just, that's making the blooper reel. That's what it is. That's going in the blooper reel. All right. So I, I also know, you know, the best thing I love about cap show is that they have one of the best communities ever as a cap and myself. I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.